Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Welcome to the Theater Podcast, intimate personal conversations with theater's biggest names. I'm your host, Alan Seals, and you're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. This episode is with choreographer Sonia Taya, who made her Broadway debut choreographing the smash hit Moulin Rouge, the musical. You may also know her work from So You Think You Can Dance. She got a couple Emmy nominations for her work on the few years she's been working on that show. I just adore her. She she is humble. She has a bit of imposter syndrome. She is just so incredibly nice and talented. And we had such a nice chat in the VIP room of the Hirschfeld Theater. She was working on something on stage. So she took time out of her day to have a great conversation. And I just really appreciate everything she had to offer. She is a hustler. She was talking about how She moved to L.A. from Detroit and was just putting together her own showcase, essentially putting out flyers on cars and just doing everything to try to find an agent. Because at the time when she moved to L.A., you couldn't do anything without an agent. So she finally got one. Her her showcase worked and her her agent was like, so what do you want to do? What do you want to focus on? And she goes, I want to do it all. I want a diverse career. And the agent said, what? You know, pick a lane. And she said, nope. It's obviously working for her because she's done TV, she's done Broadway, she's done music videos, she's done choreography for tours for people like Madonna and Miley Cyrus, and she's just all over the place. She's got her next gig coming up. She's choreographing Sing Street, which is going to open on Broadway very shortly. So, my gosh, I'm just really excited to share this with you. This is part of the Moulin Rouge takeover for the month of February, so please continue to listen, continue to subscribe, because there's more coming at you all month long from the cast of Moulin Rouge. So now, please follow me online at theater underscore podcast. Leave a rating. Please leave a review. I love reading those. Now, without further ado, here's the episode with Sonia Taya. My guest today made her way from the city of Detroit to New York City to find herself choreographing for some of today's biggest names, including Madonna, Miley Cyrus, and Florence and the Machine. She's been nominated for two Emmy Awards for her work on So You Think You Can Dance and won the Lucille Lortel and Obie Awards for Outstanding Choreography for her work on David Henry Wang's dance play Kung Fu, for which she also received a Drama Desk nomination. And she has recently made her Broadway debut as choreographer for the smash hit Moulin Rouge the Musical, Sonia Taya. Welcome to the theater podcast. Hi, thank you. I'm so happy to be in this cool space. Yeah, we're up in the in the <laughs> VIP room lounge. Yeah. Yeah, in here in the in the Al Hirschfeld Theater. It's the VIP lounge and pr- prior to the VIP lounge was where we had all our very intense meetings. Oh, your production we, meetings? Yes. Yes. It's so, all flashing back on me now. So the <laughs> the in my intro I said that you made your way from Detroit to New York and I, I think you identify with being from Detroit, right? Yeah. But you were actually born in Brooklyn. I was. Yeah. Yes. I was born here. I don't remember this part of my life, but um, we moved to Detroit soon after I was born. So, so what part of Brooklyn do you remember? Um, 
uh, Fort Greene area. Oh, yeah, that's near my yeah, place, which yeah. is where I live now, which is very oh. strange. I'm down in Borham Hill, so we're neighbors. Yeah, sort of. I mean, as neighbors, <laughs> neighbors as you can be. It's a nice place. It's so beautiful there. Yeah, I love it. Okay, so Brooklyn moved to Detroit. What took you to Detroit? I mean, what took your family to Detroit? My um, mother and father divorced, mm. and I have two older sisters. I moved from De- from New York to Detroit. Um, my father's family is here, but my mother's family uh, is in Detroit and had a really incredible, amazingly challenging life in Detroit. <laughs> well, yeah, I, well, we can get into that. I mean, you can go as deep as you want. It's early in the interview, so we're not warmed up yet, but, um, Detroit, you were, you were kind of, part of like a, um, you were saying like an underground sort of dance scene, right? I was yeah. reading in another article that you were interviewed in. Yeah, there's this. There was in the '90s, '80s, '90s. Um, there was an incredible underground house music, techno music scene in Detroit. I mean, music in Detroit is so of profound. course, yeah. Um, so many innovators have come from that city. But there was the dance scene, the house music dance scene, the underground rave parties yeah. before they were before they got a little messy, um, were a huge staple in my sister's lives and in my my life too. I was, it was, we had such a, when I think back, it's so crazy. I never had the moments with my sisters where like, you don't want to take your youngest sister around or you don't get along. We always got along. Um, so everywhere they went, I went. And what so was the age difference? My, I'm 42. My oldest sister's 49. My middle sister's 46. So you're all relatively close, but yeah. when you're 10, yeah, they're 17, yeah. 16. Yeah, that's a big difference. Yeah, but they they were protecting me and I was I was friends with their friends' sisters, younger sisters. So it was a huge link. It was very um, amazing to have that type of relationship and just walking into um, these parties that started at 2 a.m. and went until 9 a.m. I'm a dad. <laughs> That's like four hours past. Well, no, it's torture now. <laughs> when I think about it, I'm, I'm, I, I say to myself, this is why the social energy, I have zero social energy now because I, I, I used it from my teenage years till 26. I mean, it was, yeah. but it was such a, a huge turning point in my life for dance and just seeing all of these artists and have, watching these incredible DJs make names for themselves and and watching them have one of those visceral experiences all together was in these old churches, abandoned buildings in Detroit was profoundly amazing. It well, really was. so you were, you, so you were 10 and whatnot, or, I mean, I guess how young were you when you started going to the race? 14. Wow. Mm-hmm. And it, were you, I mean, looking back as an adult, were you seeing things that you shouldn't be seeing or shouldn't be experiencing at 14? I don't remember seeing those things. I remember standing because we were friends with a lot of the DJs. So I remember just being by the speaker close to the DJ and dancing, just mm-hmm. running to dance. You know, it wasn't a, you you wear sweats and a sports bra or like tube top and wide pants because it was the 90s. Right. I don't remember um, the like that dangerous stuff. I just remember feeling like I was levitating. Just having... So that's what dance brought to you? Yeah. And I remember when I was little, not understanding what that feeling was. What is this 
overwhelming feeling that I have. But now looking back, I remember while I was dancing, I, 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 I would stop and just watch the sea of dance. And I think because I, I was thinking in my mind, I want to make this. So when did you actually start making? When, was, when did the choreography come in? I, I had to pay to go to do extracurricular activities. Like why I had to get a job at a young age. We mm-hmm. didn't come from much, not poor, but it was a, a working family. And so um, when I was 17, I was trying to go to a student, like a, a school, a dance school around my house. Mm-hmm. But all of the studios that I would walk into would say, you know, you're, you're 17. These kids have been dancing here since they were four. Like, there's nothing we can do with you here. And I thought, I found that to be so strange. And I just wanted to learn, you know, I just wanted to understand the foundation. I knew I could move, but I knew that there was a format of, of moving. My mother got me books about Twyla Tharp and Martha Graham. And I was just like, these women, these women with these big ideas, like, mm-hmm. what is that? I want, I want more of that. And then um, I went to one school for the last year of my senior year in high school. And then I fell into incredible professors at Henry Ford Community College in mm-hmm. Tulane State who just, thank God, saw something and said, you're a choreographer. This is how it starts. Well, uh, okay. That's strange to me. I'm trying to to picture in my head how a professor looks at you and says, well, you're not a dancer, but you're a choreographer. They didn't say that. They said, here's the root of how to move. Here's the skeleton. Here's the anatomy coloring book. You love dance, right? And mm-hmm. I said, yes, but I want to make dance. And when I would be in this in the classes and I would take my composition classes, they said, "This, there's something there. I jumped. So there's that, that they could see that. And I knew because it was a bit, you know, I didn't, I didn't start at three. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a point of view uh, and a, an opinion about myself. And I knew that the, feel, the, the difference in the feeling when I was on stage and then when I would watch, it was just a different feeling. I couldn't break out of, of being hyper aware of myself when I danced. I didn't get lost, but I would get lost when I would choreograph. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. So... Because your brain, I think it's a different, a different section of your brain. And if there's any neuroscientist out there listening, write me and let me know if I'm completely off base. <laughs> but my my hypothesis is that recollection and creation are different things, Absolutely. different centers of the brain of the brain. Absolutely. So while you're creating, it takes you out of your mind. It takes you out of whatever experiences or trauma or whatever like life that you're trying to <laughs> trying to move past. Right, and you, yeah. you're finding it to express yourself. And just the yearn, the longing to see it what, what is what I, I would feel when I was dancing, the longing to see what I was doing um, rather than feel what I was doing. Does that make sense? Yes. I just wanted to see it and I wanted to create it on uh, all forms of human bodies. I just had the craving immediately. Especially, you know, I grew up with Paul Abdul, Janet, you know, incredible dance makers. Mm-hmm. And was so excited, but overwhelmed because I didn't know I would have access to finding that voice in me. Wow. That's a voice. I I have never kind of put choreography in that sort of way before. But yeah, it's true because you, you, I I would call it a style, but it is a voice. It's, it's, you're, 
I think um, one of the reviews from Moulin Rouge oh, was saying like, you don't whisper, you scream. You're screaming on stage. Your choreography <laughs> screaming. Is it? That was for this, right? Yeah. 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 That the choreography is just out there and it's intense and it's wild and it's sensual and it's everything. And you you can't help but watch every every movement on stage because it's all screaming to be seen. <laughs> but Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Um, but okay, so so going to your career, mm-hmm. uh, where, I mean, it seems like you've been, with so you think you can dance for what, like six, seven years now, right? I was there for six, five or six seasons. I started at season six. And then now they're about to release season 12. Wow. Crazy. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, amazing. <laughs> so between, I haven't been there in a few years. I miss them. But well, between that and and Detroit and choreographing in college and whatnot, like how how did you get to to So You Think You Can Dance? How did you get to national television? I graduated college uh, when I was 25. And then I didn't go until later. Um, I didn't start school until later. Everything was later. Um, I just had to analyze things first and and really make sure that the approach I was taking was the approach I wanted. And then after I graduated, <clears throat> excuse me, I moved to San Francisco first. My best friend had a small company in San Francisco. I knew when I graduated that I I wanted to I wanted the world to see my work, but I wasn't ready for my the world to see my work. I didn't feel like I had a strong enough voice. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of, um, do I have the confidence, the knowledge and the, the, the sense of myself to, uh, approach dance the way I want. Um, I was still feeling insecure about how I was moving. I had, um, uh, tightness and, um, this hyper-physical desire when I moved and it was really aggressive and I was a, a bit embarrassed by it, um, and I couldn't format why. So I knew I had to, I had to, I knew San Francisco was a great place because I had comfort with my best friend who I love, who is so talented, a beautiful choreographer. He had a small company and I just locked myself in a studio with them and just kept building material over and over and over and just hours and hours in the studio. And then when I was 30, I decided to move to LA and I was intrigued by the commercial side of dance, but also was confused of all these boxes, like all the, the, that they couldn't fuse themselves together. And Mm -hmm. I come from concert dance. I come from, I have my degree in dance, but there was, I wanted to fuse it all together because I felt like I was that, that type of artist. And so, so you think was in its third, second or third season, third season when I moved there. And, um, to work in LA, you need an agent at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how, okay, I moved to LA and no one knows me. What am I going to do? Um, so I decided to have a show. I decided to put my money together and, and create a show um, and and bring in all these dancers that I loved. So I had a bunch of dancers sleeping in my living room <laughs> for two months, dancing for free. And I created these small um, pieces like this could be a Gap commercial. This could be an iPad, iPod commercial. This could be on So You Think. This could do this. Yeah, I remember all the many, iPod commercials with the yeah, silhouettes yeah. and everything. Yeah, when dance was really starting to take its its um, reign in 
commercials and movies and, and such. So I thought if I could create a palette of ideas, maybe not fully formed, but ideas and hire and, and invite agents to come and watch, mm-hmm. hopefully I'll get an agent. And this is when you passed out flyers and put the flyer in the windshield wiper. So we made these posters and I was posting them everywhere and it turned out being to be a really successful show. And the next morning, um, it, an agent that I want really wanted to sign me called and signed me. And I met with them and they said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want... I want to. I want a, a, a versatile career, and that was jarring for them, because you know sometimes picking a lane is the first thing you have to do and hold on to that lane. And mm-hmm. I never understood that concept or never wanted to. And I think it's because, again, I had a sense of myself because I was in my thirties, and then I got, and I said, and I and so you think would be fun? That would be cool to really like expand, and they sent a couple of pieces from my show and I met Jeff Thacker, who is one of the producers Mm -hmm. and a a dear friend of mine now. Um, And the rest just exploded. It exploded. Wow. You hustled. I hustled. You hustled and it worked out. I hustled. Yeah. I still hustle. Yeah. Well, uh, (laughs) I I know. I know you. It was a serious hustle. Yeah. 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 And I feel like that's one of those movie moments where you're like, you're just building up, building up. And then, you know, in real life, it's like, it doesn't work. And you're like, now what? But you had that moment. Yeah. And now here you are sitting in the VIP room of your show that <laughs> so you helped put together yeah. at the Al Harshfeld Theater. Yeah. Moulin Rouge the musical. This show just came out of the gate sprinting. And <laughs> it was a smash it overnight. Critics are raving it. You're getting so much praise for your choreography. Like everything is just... Off the charts, right? Thank you. And but back up a little bit to talk about how did you get connected with the team? So you're in LA doing so you think you can dance. Where were you like I, I'm not versatile enough, I want to try Broadway now. I I just take where the path takes me and my instincts, you know. I never have like a this is my dream thing. Mm-hmm. I just want to work with people that are inspiring and ambitious and big, big makers of art. So I was living in LA for four years and fell in love with theater. I did The Last Goodbye um, at the Williamstown Theater Festival many, many, uh, 10 years ago, I think it was. Oh my God. That was my first musical theater experience. And from that moment, I was mesmerized and wanted it and just wanted it so badly. So I truly just made the decision to move to New York while I was meeting with Lee Silverman, um, another dear friend and mentor of mine, to do Kung Fu. Mm-hmm. And I knew it was time. I sold all of my stuff in LA. I put everything in boxes and had all my friends come over. And I, I brought a couple of suitcases with me to New York. I just said, I'm moving. And I moved with, with Kung Fu and nothing else. And I, I did Kung Fu and... Um, Met Alex Timbers, another mentor, dear friend, mm-hmm. and we did the last goodbye again in San Diego. And I knew he was someone that I wanted to work with—just a big imagination and a, a, a an incredible artist. And he called one day and said, "Will you come have coffee with me?" I was like, "Of course." And he said, "I'm directing Moulin Rouge," and I was like. 
what? <laughs> yeah, what was going through your mind when you're like, they're making a stage show out of Moulin Rouge, the, the movie? I said, it's about time. That movie wants to be <laughs> on a live stage. I remember being seeing it an opening night in Detroit at this incredible theater and seeing the premiere and and running out of the theater so inspired and amped and just so charged by it. So when he told me he was doing it, I I was not surprised that they would want Alex. And since then, it would just been a whirlwind of, of, wow, this, I, by this time I'm 40, right? So by this time I'm 40, I know what I want to see. I have, I'm not, you know, settled and I have it all together. I just know who I am. <laughs> I'm constantly searching for more of who I am, but I know what type of dance I want to do and the access and the highly physical nature and the hot-blooded nature of the movie um, to a live stage, it was just inside of me ready to scream out. Um, so it was no, nothing short of a dream, truly. That just to have an ensemble that is so virtuosic, an ensemble that is driving a sto- the story, that dance is driving the story, I think that is lacking. Mm-hmm. I think the ensemble responsibilities are lacking. They can handle, they, are, they thrive in, Acting, singing, dancing, the body can tell so much story. Oh, totally. I mean, you know, so to have the body in the show moving and not hearing words for a good five minutes is remarkable. And people being moved by it and following that is incredible. And it is is a dream of mine, and I'm so proud of it, but it's because of them. It's because of their execution and willingness because it's difficult. When when you start to approach a project, mm-hmm. are, do you do you how do you build your vocabulary? Yeah. Like you're talking about the voice, like dancing as a voice, right? Yeah. So how do you build your vocabulary for that project? It varies per project. For this one, um, pre-production is is was a necessity. Pre-production is when you're able to get space and hire. Um, dancers that may not necessarily all be in the show, which can sometimes be tricky, but because of the four to six week rehearsal process and looking at the scope of Moulin Rouge and that the opening number alone is almost 11 minutes long, you need a lot of pre-production time. Mm -hmm. So I was blessed to have an incredible amount of people um, lead me to the opening night of Moulin Rouge and so many incredible dancers that I admire and love. Um, So I would go into the space and, you know, there's a, a, a huge amount of music in the show. But for me, um, I have to dance in silence for a while. I get trapped by music sometimes. Hmm. I love music. Um, but I get trapped in the immediate start of it because I need to make sure it's coming from my insides and coming from my own instincts of, for example, Roxanne or Backstage romance, the opening of Act Two. I know what the story is, mm-hmm. so if it's interesting without music, it'll be interesting. That's my thought process. If you're in a rehearsal room and you're in fluorescent lights and there's no music and there's no singing, but it's interesting, I'm on to something. So I would create a lot in silence and then press play. And sometimes the dancers would be like, "Wait, wait, wait, wait!" <laughs> and I would say, "Just let's just—it's just a feeling." I just want to, it's just a feeling. If if we're able to express a feeling that, you know, in in backstage romance, there's an affair 
Mm-hmm. There's a secret. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're inches away from each other. If we can express that quietly in this room with just us, then we're 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 on our way. And what what could possibly happen when the music comes on, you know? It sounds like you're choreographing micro expressions almost. Yeah, that's like, a that's a very interesting way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you you're you're trying to to tell a yeah, tell a secret without telling a secret through choreography, like using no words to tell a secret. Is, yeah, I, I, the the body is really an incredible instrument to uh, move people mm-hmm. and to move a narrative. And when an ensemble is used as placeholders, I find that to be um, infuriating. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to use a lighter word. <laughs> you know, the, the reason why, right, the baseline, the basics behind musical theater, <clears throat> from what I know, is they sing and dance because they can't, they don't have the emotional capacity to just, to just speak anymore, right? <laughs> yeah. But the singing and dancing is still narratively driven. So let's utilize them. They have mm-hmm. so much to say. And Moulin Rouge was craving it. It wasn't, for, it's not dance for dance sake. And I love dance for dance sake sometimes. But for this, it would be, I, I said this before, a disservice if I didn't try to hold on to the swiftness and the adrenaline and the, and the access that those cameras, those rail cams and mm-hmm. steady cams and were able to um, formulate in the movie. I wanted, I wanted to, I obsessively investigated how to do that with the body. Did you watch the movie a lot first? I oh, did. Did you? Um, not a lot. I watched it because because first, in terms of the mental state of mm-hmm. things, um, when I got the job, it was panic, 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 <laughs> panic, panic. <laughs> ego, ego, panic, ego. Um, I can't, I can't, I can't. Oh, no. Watch what you wish for. What's going to, oh, God, the pressure, the pressure, the pressure, right? So I have to go through all of that. Mm-hmm. And then I watched the movie and then I added more pressure and watched it again and then cried. Um, I watch it and I hold tight to what I remember and what I what what connected to me and I and then I let it go. But I take what I what what I was what my body is holding on to mm. and I and I pay homage to that. But I don't I can't overwatch because I want to make sure you know, Baz Lerman and CM, mm-hmm. our incredible leaders here, gave us the blessing. We did this, but this this is now yours. Do it, explode it open. So having that blessing allowed me to just watch it, remember, hold on to the the nostalgia, and find pick your moments of paying homage and being inspired by, and then move on. Mm-hmm. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in business into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. 
Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. Yeah, the the show the show is it seems too big to fit on the stage. <laughs> and I know that's like it's by design, <laughs> but every the energy coming out yeah. is is it slaps you in the face in a very good way. And yeah. and the, you said the opening number was what, 11 minutes long? It 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 is so well-deserved because you're coming here, the audience comes here with expectations. Yeah. Because they've seen the movie. Most, I'm sure most of them have. And if not heard the music. And this has just got to take it up a, a completely new notch. Yeah. And it does. It. Thank you. It, does, it, it takes it up a notch. But, okay, so putting it all together, you've got your set designs I'm sure you're looking at and you, you the stage plots and your little miniatures yep. of what everything's going <laughs> to exactly. be. You're like, all right, so I'm going to place this here and I'll put that there. But um, you're you're also choreographing Sing Street, which is opening later this year. Yep. Um, and we'll get to that. But yep. my point of bringing that up is that Sing Street, about a bunch of high school kids, much different vocabulary than Moulin Rouge, which is about deception and corruption and sex yes. among you know three of the main plot points, right? So for this, was it was it more in your wheelhouse to to dial up the sex here, or for Thing Street to dial? Is it harder to dial down like the sensuality, the the physical expression? Um. I think sensuality can be expressed in many different forms, right? I think that Moulin Rouge needs, craves, begs for access, and Sing Street needs, craves, begs for simplicity. Mm. That doesn't mean both don't have tons and tons of heart and emotional substance, that they're not substantial in their emotional focus, but it's different. It's different because Moulin Rouge is this incredible mashup musical um, with a reference point of, excuse me, color and access. Sing Street is about oppression and dysfunction. These kids come from zero and Moulin Rouge celebrates Truth, beauty, freedom, and love. Sing Street celebrates truth, beauty, freedom, and love in a different way. (laughs) It really does. It's about these kids who come from nothing and this kid who who came from a wealthy family and is losing everything because of the economy and has to go from a private school to a public school and has to wear this uniform and walks into the first day and is bullied like crazy and made fun of and is his identity is stripped from him and he's looking at a world where there's so much corruption and abuse and sees this girl holding an unlit cigarette across the street and builds the courage to co- to go talk to her and acts like he's in a band and then creates this band and learns to sing and learns to play and learns about hope and love and faith mm-hmm. coming from nothing Moulin Rouge is about a woman who came from nothing and is holding on to her family because they have something. And this one thing that is holding them together, which is art 
I mean, it's like the links are, <laughs> you could just, it's so beautiful, but then they're so different from each other. But that's, the, that's, that's one of the links of why I was so uh, um, aggressive about the pieces that I wanted to do and trying to push constantly knock down doors of being um, held in a box because mm-hmm. it's all about, it, it, the, the end game is being moved. The, is wanting the audience to be moved. And an artist who loves what they do can do that. So I don't have to stay on So You Think You Can Dance. I don't have to stay on Broadway. I can. I just want to do all of the work with collaborators who wish for their audiences to be moved. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yeah, so it seems to me like... It's not hard for you to develop the vocabulary if if the inspiration, if the need for movement is there, yes. then it just comes. Yes, because in Sing Street, so the, uh, in Moulin Rouge, you have the the classic can-can, the classic tango, and, mm-hmm. and my interpretation of that. But it's a, it's a show house, so it needs all of that dance. It's a show house. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a club. Um, so, and it's meant for entertainment and Satine is one of the most incredible entertainers of, of that time. Mm-hmm. So you need that. Sing Street is an eighties, a movie set in the eighties about, uh, kids that want to be, be in a band. So their reference points are Depeche Mode, Duran Duran, The Cure. And so you go back in time of those, of those videos and what type of m- movement were, were in those videos. And that's so fun to reference. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's like our, our childhood. I mean, it's like, yeah. the, remember that? Yeah. It was like, you just like wanted to be depressed because the cure was just longing and singing <laughs> Friday, I'm in love. And you're, you know, driving down the street, depressed for no reason, just like wearing black lipstick. And, you know, it was like such an emo time. But having these kids that, that um, again, come from nothing, reference these videos is so fun. But also with those reference points, are, that that's inspiration. But also, what does the guitar feel like on your body? Mm-hmm. Is that the weight of that, the longing of that? Let's utilize this instrument as another person you know how do you hold your instrument when you're staring at the girl you're falling in love with how do you stand when you're trying to impress someone right all of that is choreography all of that is all of that is taught and expressed a choreographer does a lot in shows sometimes that stuff gets swept or isn't acknowledged or people think it's wow it was so it's so simple and beautiful that sing street is is sometimes harder than building Moulin Rouge because of its simplicity. Right. Right? Right. <laughs> like it's, you have to be big while not being big. Yes. It's understated. Yeah. Yeah. And it's about longing and it's about imagination. And that's really, really hard. And every everyone in the show plays an instrument. So if that guitar is stage right and needs to be stage left two songs later, it's a navigation system. It's a Google mapping <laughs> <laughs> of all of these instruments. So it's it has its own challenges. Mm-hmm. Um, and But it's, again, we're talking about being moved and we're talking about how things move. And you can find substance in how things move when you talk to an actor about why, the why, mm-hmm. you know, if there, ha- there has to be, for me, there has to be a purpose and every purpose is substantial. So even though 
Moulin Rouge is sensual and sexy. I hear that word a lot, sexy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you're seeing that because of the because of how highly physical it is. Mm-hmm. You know, sexy is the definition of that is is so huge, right? But it's it's just because of the the heat that you feel from the show, but that doesn't make it less substantial in its emotional value. Which also is paired with the costumes. Mm-hmm. because if they were all wearing tube tops and sweatpants, it would be less, I put in air quotes, sexy. Do you think? I think, I, hmm. you know, <laughs> hmm. a, a can-can mm-hmm. with sweatpants. Mm-hmm. I'm waving my arms around like I'm holding my dress. <laughs> um, is, it's going to be, it's going to present differently than That's if I'm true. holding my big fluffy can-can dress, That's right? That's true. That's um, true, yes. Because the whole idea, I guess, of the can-can dress is like, you know, women put on, back in the day, they actually yeah. put on merkins so you could yes. like pretend you were seeing real mm-hmm. stuff under there. And it a, it's a very dangerous art form, the can-can. Is it? It's meant for, for danger. Yeah. Why? Because it's because the, so, the I mean, kicks the, and the tricks that they, the, the aggression behind the tricks they would do, those jumping, falling into splits. I mean, yeah. the, the, the can-can that we have, they do 36 or 39 kicks in the, in the first 11 minutes of the show. Wow. Yeah. Where do you find dancers? The casting process. Ugh. How long did that take? I remember <laughs> there was many auditions, but not as many as you would think in, for this for for the Broadway run. Mm-hmm. There, there were many, but this I remember the final callbacks of Moulin Rouge will be one of the most incredible audition experiences that I will ever have. The sweat and the heat that was dripping down the mirror, it was so hot. Everybody wanted it. It was just one of those feelings, mm-hmm. right? Where you, where everyone in the room feels the same in terms mm-hmm. of the want. And most of who are in the show was there. And I was just blown away by how competitive it was, how challenging the vocabulary was, and how incredibly amazing they were executing it. It was phenomenal, truly. I was looking at Alex. My eyes were, I mean, my I was just, my eyes were hanging out of my face. <laughs> and I was weeping. I was so excited. Like, okay, this is, this is, this is right. This is what it should look like. Like these, these are the people that should be. It takes a certain person to, and I think for anything in Moulin Rouge, it takes a certain person to be in it. It is mm-hmm. incredibly challenging, vocally, physically, and emotionally. It's a it's a it's a difficult show, beautifully difficult. Couldn't be done in another way, in my opinion. But um, that's why I think the cast takes so much pride in it. Mm-hmm. You can see the pride when I watch. When I come and watch, still I still feel it. And I'm so proud of it. Um, but I think that's what um, sets us in this really uh, beautiful way because it's a, it's a certain artist that um, can handle it, that wants it. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. It's just watching, watching everybody up there and, and even the post on social media now because you get to see so much yeah. behind the scenes yeah. and everyone is just so proud to be in the show. And, yeah. and uh, gosh, it's, it's created... I mean, every show is a family, but this has created a very special family. Yeah. From from what I've seen. Yeah. But I love them. 
did you um I my last question about yeah. the casting is I guess was it an open call that you were just kind of picking out of or were you like looking scouring YouTube for people that had a big following that you knew could dance or like you're saying it's a certain type of person yeah. that can do this. So how do you tell how do you tell casting agents I need someone who can kick like this mm-hmm. or I need someone who's comfortable in a in a can can dress or like where does the where does the process start? Well, you give them a description. So our description was it's a it's highly physical technical facility is is important. It's a highly physical show. So you're walking in already knowing that it's going to be a hefty audition day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you start and you you can tell. You can really feel, okay, this is these are the pile of of people of amazing artists that can handle it. These maybe not. Maybe not yet. Um, but in th- that that was the set description. And we had ECCs, which were required mm-hmm. equity calls that I love because you get so many people that um, you may not be able to see in, in the invited calls mm-hmm. and um, found many dancers from there and for other shows as well, which I think is really amazing. Um, but then this call were, just happened to be incredible artists who are Broadway vets and some that have made their debuts. It's, it's, I'm so incredibly lucky. Truly, we are so lucky. Oh, the, yeah, the, the entire cast, like every single person just is part of the machine that holds it all together. Truly. It is, it's absolutely incredible. You, okay. I mean, it feels like, yeah, it's theirs. That's, it's theirs. You know what I mean? Like it, you, can, you can feel that it's from their cells. Yeah. The ownership. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like you gave them, you're teaching them the vocabulary. You mm-hmm. give them, they come with the ability to speak. You give them the vocabulary vocabulary, and then they make it their own yes. and put it all on stage. And yeah. Yes, it, yeah, that's what's yeah. beautiful is because all, all are welcome at the Moulin Rouge, every walk of life. So the the beauty to see all these little individual lives and characters they build for themselves. And then when they all come together and you see this huge unison moment, it's so satisfying because there's so much of a world and then they they find this link together. And then when those big unison moments happen, it's just such an incredible feat to watch. Mm -hmm. I agree. Well, it is an incredible show. Thank you so much. Yeah, you did a wonderful job. So we'll wrap up here with yeah. my three standard closing questions that I ask everybody on the oh, podcast. God. So the first one is very simply, what motivates you? Being alive. All right. That's <laughs> 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 simple. Okay. Second one. Do you one, want more details? If you want to give more. Just be being, I've seen a lot of loss in my life at a young age and, and, Time has always been uh, part of my life. Seeing um, friends I lost from ages 30 to 40 mm. since I was 12. Too much. So time, um, taking every day and, and cherishing it is my motivation because of loss. Okay. Okay. Number two. <laughs> um, what advice would you give to your younger self and younger people listening now starting out down a similar path? Oh God. You may feel like there isn't access because of your coming from not having much. But if you do the work and keep seeking, you will find it. 
you will find it. You will find you will find the access. And hustle. Oh, hustle. Do the work. <laughs> hustle and do the work. Mm-hmm. Don't be lazy. Yeah, because there are a million people who are not lazy who are going to get it because they're hustling and they might not be as, be as talented. You just got to hustle. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so last question yeah. is, if you could only see one show for the rest of your life, but you can see it as many times as you want. Oh, God. What would you say? Pina Bausch is Volmond. What is that? Did you want me to just do a same no, musical? No, no, no. Whatever you want. I just want to know what that is. <laughs> Pina Bausch. Do you know who Pina Bausch no. is? You need to know who Pina Bausch is. I think I should. That's really hard though, because I have like four that I that I. There's there's many. There's I only can say one. Okay, only one. He's looking <laughs> at me like only one. Pina Bausch was, was she passed, but her company is still um, thriving. She's an incredible artist beyond theatrical experience, dance, theater. I mean, incredible. Every single piece. Watch her documentary called Pina. It'll change your life. Um, The Pina Bausch's, Martha Graham's, Twyla Tharp's, those women, and the Mm. reason why I love Pina and the links of Martha and Twyla. See, I'm trying to get the more than one in there, as you can see. Um, They're innovators, just that the, they're innovators and they're innovators in their, own, in their own right and have always done them. They've, they've seek to find who they are in their art. And mm-hmm. that's, that, those are my pushers, I call them. Those are who um, push me to keep, keep finding and searching and demand your voice. Because you only get, this is, this is the one life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. But it's a beautiful full piece. You have to see it. it. It was at BAM a few years ago. It's, Water, water, these huge, I can't give you too much. You just have to see it. It'll blow your mind. Okay, okay, I will. So we can find you online at uh, Twitter and Instagram at Sonia Taya and soniataya.com. T-A-Y-E-H is how you spell that. You can get more of me at thetheaterpodcast.com. Support the podcast via thetheaterpodcast.com slash Patreon. I'm on Instagram and Twitter at theater underscore podcast. Please leave a rating, leave a review, and spread the word. This is edited by Matthew Hendershot. Thank you to Jukebox the Ghost for the intro and outro music. Sonia, thank you most of all to you. This has been incredible. Thank you so much. I had a blast. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.